Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments. This is Season 6, so sit back and enjoy. Listen to some stories of the weird, of the odd, of the strange and unusual some ghost stories, some cryptid stories, some just strange stuff. Again, welcome to Season 6. Enjoy. Well, happy first day of August to my Mysterian friends and my other listeners. Today being August 1st, obviously tomorrow is August 2nd, which is my wife and I, my bride, Karen, and mine, 36th wedding anniversary. So happy anniversary to my beautiful bride, Karen. I love you, honey. And August 3rd, the day after, is going to be my birthday. I'm going to be an older man. I'm going to be 62. So I've got that to look forward to this week. This is Terry from Texas. Yes, it's still hot. It will be for a couple of months yet. Anyway, I've got a couple of stories for us. One of them is a revisit from a very previous and revisited episode. And the other one is a new story that I just found out about. This episode is going to be called Summerton Man Revisited and the Giant Killer. Quite a few episodes ago, I introduced the story of Summerton Man, who was an unknown man found dead on a beach at Summerton, South Australia, in 1948. While Summerton Man is accurate as a name for the case or mystery, it is also known as a Temam Should case due to information from the case. The case has been considered since early stages of the police investigation as one of Australia's most profound mysteries. There has been intense speculation ever since regarding the identity of the, of the victim, the cause of his death, and the events leading up to it. Public interest in the case remains significant for several reasons. The death occurred at a time of heightened international tensions following the beginning of the Cold War, the apparent involvement of a secret code, the possible use of an undetectable poison, and the inability of authorities to identify the dead man. So for 74 years, give or take, this individual has remained unnamed and unknown and unappreciated, if that's the right phrase to use. Well, apparently, 
if we wait long enough, technology catches up with history and can give us information on certain things. That's the situation here. Science has caught up with things. Somerton Man has finally, supposedly, been identified. On May 19th of 2021, after a series of requests, the body was exhumed for analysis. Police stated that the remains were in reasonable condition and were optimistic about the prospect of DNA recovery. On July 26th of 2022, just a week or so ago, Adelaide University professor Derek Abbott claimed that DNA evidence from hair samples removed from his death mask had proven the man to be Carl Charles Webb, an electrical engineer and instrument maker born in 1905. South Australia police have not verified the result, but were cautiously optimistic about it. Another report says, an Australian researcher claims to have solved a 73-year-old mystery by identifying a man found dead on the beach. Derek Abbott from the University of Adelaide said that the body belonged to Carl Charles Webb, an electrical engineer born in Melbourne in 1905. For more than seven decades, the identity of the man has been a mystery that spawned theories featuring jilted lovers to Cold War spies, and it has remained one of Australia's most infamous cold cases. The body of the well-dressed man was found slumped on the Australian beach. A half-smoked cigarette was found resting on his collar, and a wartime code scribbled in a book along with the final words of a Persian poem was in his pocket. All this prompted speculation for decades that the man was a spy. The Persian words on the torn piece of paper were Tamam Shud, T-A-M-A-M-S-H-U-D, which means it is finished in English. The body was found on Somerton Beach in Adelaide on December 1st, 1948. The man was well built, believed to be in his 40s and around 5 feet 11 inches tall. The report said that he had gray-blue eyes and gingery brown hair. The man was called Somerton Man, after the beach where his body was found. There were bus and train tickets, some chewing gum, some matches, two combs, and a pack of cigarettes in his pockets, but no identification proof like a wallet or ID card, forcing the police to send his fingerprints around the world, but no one could identify them. According to the New York Times, his remains were exhumed in May of last year in a bid to solve the case. He had been buried at a cemetery since 1949 with a tombstone reading, Here Lies the Unknown Man Who Was Found at Somerton Beach. The police hoped to use his DNA to find out who the well-dressed man really was. That mission was undertaken by Derek Abbott who was able to analyze Somerton Man using the DNA from his hair preserved by the authorities. He reached out to renowned U.S. forensic expert 
Colleen Fitzpatrick, who specializes in cold cases, to build an extended family tree using the DNA. The duo's search came down to 4,000 names, from where they narrowed it down to one, Carl Webb. Mr. Abbott also claimed to have tracked down the man's relatives to confirm his identity. According to Mr. Abbott, Webb was born on November 16th of 1905 in Footscray, a suburb of Melbourne. He was the youngest of six children. The researcher also said that the man married Dorothy Robertson, known as Doff Webb. He now wants to join the dots further and find out how the man died. The doctor who carried out the autopsy at the time of the discovery believed the man had died from heart failure due to poisoning, and the coroner didn't rule out murder. Professor Abbott said on Monday he believes the man found on December 1st of 1948 was Carl Charles Webb. South Australian authorities maintain caution and have not released a statement on the identity of the man or provided an update on their own investigation following the exhumation of the man's body last year. The coroner will be asked to confirm the identification. Abbott's research was undertaken with Colleen Fitzpatrick and the pair analyzed DNA evidence from hairs caught in a plaster cast made of the man's face more than a half century ago by investigators. Fitzpatrick told the Guardian she and Abbott started with a match in a DNA database, a so-called DNA cousin to Somerton Man, and then built out his family tree until he found someone who fit the description of who they were looking for. The tree included about 4,000 people when that happened. Webb was born in 1905, but later identified as a person with no death record. As to why the Melbourne man was in Adelaide, Abbott said we have evidence that he had separated from his wife and that she had moved to South Australia, so possibly he had come to track her down. Fitzpatrick said, this is an amazing mystery to solve. It has been one of the most interesting cases in Australia's history. It's much more than identifying the Somerton man as Carl Webb. It's also solving the mystery of how and why he died, and that may yet take years. Carolyn Billsborough, a filmmaker and director of the documentary Missing Pieces about Somerton Man, said the news was incredibly exciting. We knew this day was going to come at some point, she said. We had all these grandiose ideas about him being Russian, American, and European. I was convinced that he was from Europe, maybe a displaced person after the Second World War who was here alone. But to find out, he is Australian, from Victoria, and that he died and no one obviously noticed he was missing, or no one followed up with the police that he was missing. I find that particularly tragic. She said the news also turns on its head the theory in her documentary that Australian ballet dancer Robin Thompson was the son of Somerton Man. The links to Thompson go back to the scrap of paper with the Persian words for finished found in the man's fob pocket in his trousers. A fob pocket, that's where you kept your watch, your, your pocket watch.
The phrase was identified as coming from the classic book of Persian poetry, the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. The police had asked the public if anyone had a copy of the book with the last page missing, and a man came forward with the last page torn out. He said it had been thrown into the back of his car around the time of the incident. The copy not only had its last page torn out, but also had incoherent writing believed to be a code on its back cover. Billsboro said the theory that Summerton Man was a Russian spy emerged in the 1970s at the time of the Cold War, particularly fueled by the writing in the copy of the Rubaiyat they interpreted as code. Also written on the back cover was the phone number of a young nurse, later identified by Abbott as Joe Thompson, who lived a five-minute walk away from where the man was found dead. When Thompson was taken by authorities to visit a death mask of Summerton Man's face, the taxidermist present, Paul Lawson, told ABC's Australian Story last year that it was obvious that she knew the man. Abbott had attempted to contact the Thompson family, but upon finding both Joe Thompson and her son Robin dead, sought expert opinion which showed biological links between Robin and the Summerton man, likely due to sharing the same rare dental and ear conditions on top of the muscular calves which helped Thompson become a professional dancer. Fitzpatrick said the DNA evidence disproves any genetic relationship with Robin Thompson. Billsboro said, now that we've got his name, there are still so many questions. In fact, there's probably more questions than there were yesterday when we didn't have his name. We still don't know who he is or what he was doing. Was there a connection with Joe the nurse? Was it suicide? My feeling has always been that it's been suicide, that Rubiat was known as a kind of suicide handbook, Billsboro said. She said, although it looked as if there was nobody alive now that would remember him, she hoped to turn to the archives to answer new questions the findings opened up. I've already been on trove to see if there's any presence of Charles Webb coming up in the old newspapers, but trying to put together a paper trail of who he was or might have been is just difficult. There's almost a sequel film here, not of who is Summerton Man, but now it's the mysterious case of Charles Webb. Sometimes mysteries are nerve-wracking. Sometimes they are outright frightening. Sometimes they are just unusual stories that, while true, make you scratch your head in wonder. Such as our next story, the story of Richard J. Flaherty, also known as the Giant Killer. Richard James Flaherty, November 28, 1945 to May 9, 2015, was a captain in the United States Army who served in the Vietnam War. Due to his small stature, get this, he was just four foot nine inches tall. He was known as the Giant Killer. He was also the shortest U.S. serviceman in history. Flaherty was born in November 1945 in Stamford, Connecticut. Doctors from Stamford, Connecticut's regional hospital worked intensely to save the newborn as his mother wasn't aware of her blood group of Rh negative. 
Apparently, Dad had RH positive. Due to the blood type, his growth was stunted, which resulted in him being diagnosed with dwarfism. Flaherty's Irish ancestry came from his grandfather, Joseph Patrick Flaherty, born in the Aran Islands, and his grandmother, Bridget Smythe, born in Fecal. Growing up, Flaherty was very sensitive about his height, which I've said was four foot nine. Therefore, he tried to achieve the best physical fitness and learned martial arts. When he attained adulthood, he set his sights on a military career. But the height requirement to enter the U.S. Army was five foot. This put Richard on a mission. At four foot nine and 97 pounds, Richard Flaherty was the smallest and most unconventional man to serve in the U.S. military and needed a congressional waiver just to join the Army. Also, he got the waiver, got the letter that he was accepted into the Army, but he needed to gain weight before he came in to sign in. So he had to gain six pounds over the weekend. Apparently, he did it, got over the weight that he needed. Flaherty was promoted to second lieutenant after attending infantry officer candidate school on August 31st of 1967. He had been bullied and ridiculed through basic training, and he nonetheless achieved the kind of stature that's only dreamed of, earning the Silver Star, two Bronze Stars, two Purple Hearts, and other awards for his actions in Vietnam. Flaherty served with the 101st Airborne and the 3rd Special Forces Group. He was assigned to the 101st during his first tour in Vietnam in 1968. He got there apparently right before the Tet Offensive. He was a platoon leader and recon platoon leader with companies B, C, D, and E. Flaherty participated in some fierce combat outside of Hue City during the Tet Offensive. He returned to the U.S. at the end of his tour and attended Special Forces Officer Course at Fort Bragg. Upon graduation, he was assigned to the 3rd Special Forces Group, Airborne, as a Special Forces Operations Detachment, A, S-F-O-D-A, Commander in Company A of the 3rd SFG in Thailand. Later that year, he was reassigned to the 10th Special Forces Group at Fort Devens. He served as an SFODA commander in companies A and B. He left the Army in 1971 at the rank of captain due to a reduction in force. His decommission in 1971 due to the military budget downsizing was unexpected and devastating, and Flaherty sank into the murky world of private contract work. He is believed to have worked as a military contractor throughout Africa and most notably in Rhodesia and Angola. Uh, private contract work basically means that he was a mercenary. During these ongoing operations, he gained a reputation for intelligence, and the CIA in the late 1970s recruited him to supply the Contras in Central America with weapons and cash. So began a wild adventure involving guns, cash, and high altitude, low opening, or halo parachute jumps into the Florida Everglades swamps. All of that ends when he's arrested for possession of gun silencers.
abandoned by the CIA. Flaherty locates a smuggling ring, stealing tons of explosives, including a classified weapon from inside a U.S. Army base, and signs on to work the investigation undercover with the Federal Law Enforcement Agency, the ATF. As with many vets, though, from the Vietnam era and to the present, Flaherty found it easier to be homeless and lived on the streets of Miami. He had acquaintances from his time in the military and through his connections in government service, but to say he had friends is somewhat of a stretch as he found it hard to get close to people as they tended to go away, which was Flaherty speak for they die. Although there was this one guy, Miami police officer David Yuzik befriended Richard J. Flaherty when the former soldier was living on the streets as a homeless man. After 15 years of friendship, Flaherty finally confessed, it's time I tell you who I really am. And after doing so, only 10 days later, Flaherty would be killed in a bizarre hit and run. Crossing a street, Flaherty was hit and killed, oddly enough, by a clerical employee of the Miami Police Department. In a very disturbing turn of events, detectives were given orders not to pursue punishment of the employee. After Flaherty's death, Yuzik went to look into his history and uncovered troves of information from Flaherty's storage unit, such as his passport, with stamps from Cambodia, Venezuela, Iraq, and Jordan. Yuzik kept digging, researching, and confirming. He located witnesses and found documentation in a storage unit that revealed while, even while homeless, Flaherty was still conducting clandestine missions around the world. But who was he working for? The CIA? Private contractors? Or were his missions something darker? My three-year journey of discovery dragged me down the rabbit hole of CIA conspiracies and the hunt for stolen classified weapons stretching from the bloody jungles of Vietnam to the dangerous streets of Iraq and Venezuela, all in search of the peripatetic Green Beret Captain Richard J. Flaherty, Yuzik said. Flaherty is missed by all who knew him. There was a memorial sign put up by the local fire station, and Flaherty's wishes regarding his final destination was not to be buried in Arlington National Cemetery, which he was due but in an obscure West Virginia cemetery near the final resting place of a woman he professed an eternal love for. That request was honored. Flaherty's earned military decorations are as follows. The Silver Star. Two bronze stars with V device for valor and oak leaf clusters. Two purple hearts the Air Medal, National Defense Service Medal, Vietnam Service Medal, Vietnamese Gallantry Cross, the Vietnam Campaign Medal, the Combat Infantryman Badge, and the Master Parachutist Badge. The mystery that was Richard Flaherty's life is, what drove this man? Well, that's all I have for this week. I hope you enjoyed it.
I'll be back again with another set of stories for you. I'll maintain living in this heat, although we do have air conditioners. And I hope you survive the rest of the summer cool and collected. Uh, we have a new show on the RPA network. And that show is called Hoodoo Lounge Radio with Diedrich Hilton. He speaks on all things paranormal. New episodes every Friday. Aaron called me last week and told me we were adding a new show, and I thought that's pretty good. I have yet to listen to it, but I will. Anyway, that's all I have. Greetings from hot South Texas. I appreciate you being listeners, and we'll see you again soon, okay? Thanks a lot.